Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Katie Lambert. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And for our subject today, Katie and I both started our outlines with some pretty amazing superlatives. I had that our subject, the Taiping Rebellion, was the largest war of the 19th century. And I had read that it was the most important event in 19th century China. But the crazy thing is that neither of us had ever really heard anything about this. So it really is something we missed in history class. We definitely missed it. We just found out about it a few weeks ago when we did our podcast on the Opium War. And... uh it's, those are pretty amazing figures, aren't they? Right. 20 million dead in the Taiping Rebellion. Which we both thought must be a mistake when we first read it, too. We looked, you know, okay, I, I gotta get another source for this. 20 million is way too many people, right? But it's what everybody has. And this rebellion changed the Qing dynasty, which began in 1644 forever, and also the imperial system. So it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And fortunately for us and for our story, something that ends up so broad and so important starts with one man. And this man's name is Hang Siu Chuan. And let me go ahead and say that I have no idea if I said that correctly or not. But as most of you know, I do a wrap-up blog at the end of the week, every single Friday, talking about the podcast that published this week. So if you'd like to learn more about it and see how these things are actually spelled, please check out the blog. Hung was a poor farm boy whose biggest hope was to pass the civil service examinations and get a good post somewhere in Canton. And these were a huge deal. You first passed the qualifying exams in your section. and Which then he you passed went, that part. Right, he did. And then you went to Canton for the state exam, and thousands of people showed up, but only a few would make it. And this, if you passed, it would change your class and your entire future. It Basically, everything is hanging off of this one exam for poor young Hung, and he, he fails it four times. Yes, again and again and again. So his dreams are thwarted forevermore. But after one of his failures, he meets a Christian missionary and starts reading religious texts. Yeah, he reads the tract of an early Chinese Christian, Ling Afa. And when he reads the tract, he remembers a dream that he had several years before, and everything sort of comes together for Hung. He had dreamt that he was the son of God, uh, not Jesus, actually Jesus' younger brother, and he's been ordered to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Right, and he has to get rid of the demon Manchus and reform China. So it's not only a religious goal, it's also somewhat of a political goal. And when Hung discovers um, the Christian tracts and Christianity, he starts to feel that the Confucian classics, which, of course, he's been studying for 20 years trying to pass the civil service exam, seem vain and uh, not... They seem what's wrong to be what's wrong with China, and the Christian tracts seem like they give him something to do, and that evil is around us, and it can be slayed, and he can be the one to do it. So his friend Feng Yunshan hears his ideas and thinks they're pretty good, and sets up a religious group called the God Worshippers Society, with a bunch of poor peasants in the Guangxi province. And around 1847, Hong, Feng, and the worshippers all come together. And in 1850, Hung becomes the leader of the rebellion. 
And by January 1st, 1851, they've started a new dynasty called the Taiping Tiengo, which is the heavenly kingdom of great peace. And Hong would be in charge as the Tianwang, or the heavenly king, of this new dynasty for China. Right, and their shining beginning is when they capture Nanjing in March of 1853, which they renamed Tianjing, their heavenly capital. So this is pretty crazy. This rebellion starts off as a bunch of raggedy, poor peasants and ends up being more than a million disciplined religious fanatic soldiers. And, and their style is just to pick people up as they go along. And, uh, you know, why are, why are people so into it? What, what do they have to offer? What are they all about? Well, their beliefs were a mix of Christianity and the, and the classical Chinese religion. And the Taipings were more of the Old Testament type. The wrathful God. Right. Beware thy wrathful God. And, you know, someone who required obedience and, in general, had a bit of a temper if you're up on your Old Testament they stories. Were, they were pretty puritanical, actually. Yeah, they were anti-prostitution, foot-binding, slavery, opium-smoking, adultery, gambling, tobacco, arranged marriage, idol worship, and alcohol. So they really weren't kidding around. But on the more progressive front, they deemed men and women equal, and they wanted to simplify the Chinese language, and they believed that all property would be held in common, which that's a little foreboding for um, what's to come later in China. It's an interesting predecessor here. And the, they believed in the equal distribution of land. Right, a, a primitive, primitive sort communism. of communism. And they also, again, were anti-Manchu, wanted to get rid of the entire for- imperial system, and wanted a restoration to the old ways in some respects. So we should probably talk a little bit about the Manchus. Yeah, the Manchus, the Manchu emperors had been in power for centuries uh, with the Qing dynasty. And the Qings had overturned the Mings, who were sort of regarded as the classic Chinese dynasty. Um, but the Manchus lasted so long because they maintained control over all aspects of the bureaucracy. They put Manchus in all the key positions. And we should say, too, the Manchus are a minority in China. Right. So a lot of a lot of the Chinese are seeing them as foreign emperors almost. Um, but... I, th- I think the bureaucratic aspect is interesting here, considering that Hung couldn't become a bureaucrat. He couldn't pass his examination, and he ends up this enemy of the Manchus. But um, by the 1850s, the formerly impressive military of the Manchus and strong emperors have weakened, and um, they've lost the Opium War, which, right. um, you know, they're they're held responsible for caving into the West. But as we learned in our earlier podcast, there wasn't much that could be done about that. No, but the Chinese were, again, very unhappy that the Treaty of Nanjing had been signed and felt that the Qing dynasty had given in. So there was plenty of opportunity for secret societies in the 1850s, not just these guys. When the rebellion had swept some of them up, with the Taipings, if they were even remotely anti-Qing. The Nian Rebellion was also going on from around 1851 or 1853 to 1868. So the Qing Dynasty is fighting more than one rebellion at the same time. And there are also famines, droughts, and floods going on. The people are suffering and not very happy. There's thought that perhaps the Qing Dynasty wasn't doing as much as they could to help the people. So, of course, there's going to be 
some sort of reaction to what's going on. And if things are bad, it must be the fault of the current rulers, the barbarian foreigner Manchus. So now that we've got some context, let's go back to the actual rebellion. The Taipings tried to capture Beijing, but failed. They had lots of victories in the Yangtze River Valley, but that capture of Nanjing was the only big city they ever managed to get. And this is why some people think they ended up not lasting. So there are some internal cracks as well. Yang Xuqing, the Taiping Minister of State, has been trying to take over some of Hung's power. It doesn't go over well, and Yang and his followers, several thousand, are all killed by Hung. And he's not the only one killed. Even the person who killed Yang is killed by Hung. So we're already starting to make a switch. Right. Well, and Hung is becoming more imperial as his reign goes on, um, less about his early ideals and more about being in charge, you know, obviously if he's having all these people killed. But he's started up a huge bureaucracy of his own. He has 2,000 women serving as ministers, bureaucrats, maids, and attendants. Um, he's His puritanical side has gotten even stronger, and he's decreed that men and women, even those who are married, couldn't have sexual relations until the heavenly kingdom triumphed. And if you know anything about human nature... (laughs) So, yeah, it happens, and sometimes violators are beheaded. But at the same time, he's very hypocritical about this, and he even keeps his own harem. So you can see how there would be a lot of internal... Uh, disputes and anger and feuds and um, things are starting to fall apart. He's starting to alienate people. One of his top generals, Shi Dakai, gets nervous about all the killing and defects and takes a lot of people with him. Gets out of there, yeah. Right. So the Qing dynasty is fighting back this entire time against the Taipings, but their resources are stretched thin because, again, they're fighting the Nian Rebellion and there are also some Muslim rebellions going on in other parts of China. So they've got a lot on their plate. And at some point around this time, some accounts have Hung stepping back from leadership Altogether, so he's around the harem time, right? (laughs) He's not doing the administrative stuff anymore. So you've lost that, you know, that one charismatic leader, right? To center your focus, actually had the vision from God, exactly, uh, which is inspiring everyone. So he's just, you know, gone and taken a seat, gonna step back a little bit. Yeah. And in 1860, the Taipings try to take Shanghai, but again, that doesn't work. This big city takeovers are just not happening for them. Interestingly, they're thwarted by an American, uh, Frederick Townsend Ward, and his army of foreign mercenaries. And the West is not pleased that Ward is getting involved in this. They want to be neutral and just maintain their trading interests because that's what the West is interested in, selling opium and keeping those Chinese ports open. Um, so they're trying to stay neutral. And the, the British actually arrest Ward for getting mixed up in, yeah, in stay out of local it. politics. But he gets away and he ends up setting up the ever-victorious army, which was Chinese troops, but Western officers in arms. So they were Western trained, but using Chinese people. And when he died, Charles George, known as Chinese, Gordon, took over. And a side note, Gordon is really interesting. I might want to do a totally separate podcast on him. He ends up being killed in Khartoum by modest. Governor of Sudan. Right. He's all over the world here. pretty cool. So if the Qing dynasty collapsed, foreign trade might go with it. The 
British have just fought the opium war and have secured those ports and everything, and they don't want a regime change. So the West becomes anti-Taiping. Right, because they're so anti-foreign against the Manchus, they think, well, they'll probably be even more anti-foreigner with Americans and the British. Well, and the Taiping are adamantly anti-opium, too. Right, so it's really not going to work out with that whole selling opium thing. And there are some other outside forces that are coming in here, because usually the gentry would get behind a successful rebellion. But since the Taipings were so anti-Confucianism, a lot of them felt like they were being threatened as well, that you know, the Chinese gentry classes and the scholars and not the peasants. So they come together under a man named Zhang Guofan, a Chinese official in the Qing government, and he puts together a Hunan army, courtesy of their own local taxes, and surrounds Nanjing. And by this time, Hung is sick and refuses to leave Nanjing or to escape, and uh, he kills himself or perhaps dies of food poisoning in June of 1864. But before he dies, he makes his teenage son the Tian Wang, or the Heavenly King. Which, again, he has a teenage son, but weren't people he, not supposed to be He was be supposed to be waiting there? for the Heavenly Kingdom yeah, there. Yeah, I, I don't think he waited. <laughs> so Nanjing falls from the Taiping in July of 1864, and... 100,000 Taiping preferred death to being captured. Yeah, they were offered amnesty if they repented, but nobody did it, basically. A lot of them would kill themselves by fire or uh, just die at the hands of the imperial army. Rather than renounce their beliefs. So in this way, Zheng saved the imperial regime from total collapse, although... Since his success gave more power to the Han Chinese elite. The the gentry. Right. It weakened the Qing dynasty after all, even more. So the Manchus win, but they give in to so much to win that it's sort of an empty victory for them. And the rebellion didn't even really end then. Skirmishes went on for years and years. The Taiping did not want to fall, and the government was trying to squash them for quite a while afterward. So they didn't want to fall, but they basically do. So why does that happen? There's not really much consensus on this, and it might have been because they, because uh, of their religious beliefs and because they were against Confucianism. Um, and a lot of people considered that religion integral to being Chinese. And then also on the religion side of it, it, people might have objected to having a theocracy. Some of it could have been because they alienated so many people with those really radical social reforms. And they also didn't really have a stable base. You know, they only had that one big city that they'd gotten. But when they got there, they never consolidated power in an effective way. Yeah, the ragtag way that they formed isn't the most long-lasting model. No. And they also had so much internal feuding. Hung changed so much. There was corruption Corruption. of his own beliefs. And then also the West came in on the side of the The West involvement. Yeah, that certainly turns the cards for them. We put our, our money where we needed it. But, of course, aspects of the rebellion last for decades after. And a lot of people do see a form of primitive communism in in the whole Taiping Rebellion. Um, there are even some interesting comparisons between Hung and Mao, both inspired by these uh, outside Western ideas, Christianity, or um, in Mao's case, by Marx. 
and um, setting up utopian communities in remote areas and governing very strictly. So it's it's interesting to think about how something that neither of us had heard about before this and something that was such an important event for the 19th century has interesting ramifications in the 20th century. Exactly. Well, I think that about wraps it up for today. But if you'd like to learn more about how communism works, check out our article and also check out the blog if you get a chance on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the Stuff You Missed in History Class blog on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 